Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Let's open up in our Bibles to the third chapter of the book of Proverbs. You know, I really love this chapter. I love it. More and more. I've loved it right along, and I'm learning to love it even more. Actually, I love learning about the wisdom of God. Don't you? You know, I remember when I was younger in the Lord, hearing ministers, even people, you know, children of God saying, you know, our God is greater than any God that's alive or dead or whatever. Our God is just so great and so omnipotent and so powerful. Our God has everything that, you know, we need and want and has provided everything for us. And He heals, He delivers, He sets free His people. But I'd sit back and I'd watch the same people in hopelessness, in a time of trouble, calamity. And I'd sit back and I'd say, Father, is what we're saying true? Are you this great, mighty God? Are you this heavenly Father that provideth our every need? Are you more than enough? Oh, Father, these are your children. These are your people. And, well, that's when I used to pray. I'd say, Father God, all I ask is wisdom, insight, comprehensive insight into your ways. I didn't know that that's what it meant at the time, but I just asked for the word wisdom. I said, I want wisdom. I want wisdom to... to Learn how to use the knowledge of your word so that you can be that God to me. So you can be the God that's more than enough in my life. So that I could teach others how to let you live your big life through their life. So that they don't have to be burdened and weighed down by the cares of life. That was my desire. And I praise him. I praise him every day that I'm learning more and more about his way. And consequently... We're able to walk in more of His power, more of His ability, more of His strength, more of His love, and allow Him to be the God that He really is. I want Him to be a success through my life. Don't you? Amen. Amen. See? That used to bother me. They'd, they'd say it, and, and, and they meant it from their hearts, but they didn't know how to contact Him. When the time of need came, they didn't know how to get their need met. When the time for healing came, they didn't know how to get their healing. When the time of financial trouble you know, came, these storms of, of uh, adversity came, they didn't know how to get their prayer answered. And I said, oh, Father God, I know you're more than enough. Teach me the way. And I rejoice. I rejoice that I've stayed on the course. I rejoice that he's given me what I've asked. And he's doing even more. And given more. There's nothing wrong with talking like that. If you ask, he says you shall receive. And I'm, I thank him for it. I thank him for it because you know it's so easy to get off the narrow, straight and narrow and get caught up in one of the winds of doctrine and get off the straight and narrow. Well, I want to present to you this evening in this third chapter of the book of Proverbs beginning with verses 9 and 10. 9 and 10. Our fifth conditional promise. Fifth conditional promise. And Father, we thank you for this precious word. We thank you for your precious love. 
We thank you, dear Father God, that we can trust, rely on your word. And, Father God, we can trust our lives to its provisions. Your word, dear Father God, is so. It's settled in our hearts. You cannot lie. Your word is so. We thank you for it. We act upon it. I thank you for receptive hearts. I thank you for attentive ears. I thank you for open minds. I thank you for doers of your word and not hearers only. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Honor the Lord with thy substance. And with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Long life, favor, direction, and guidance. Perfect health, and now financial prosperity. And when you say that word in most Christian circles, it's taboo. Financial prosperity? Dare you speak that way in a Christian church? I didn't. He did. I will read it to you again. Honor the Lord with your substance. And with the first fruits of all your increase, so shall your barns be filled with plenty, and your presses shall burst out with new wine. Beloved, this is the promise of financial prosperity. But of course, we have conditions to it. Whenever you teach on a subject that's considered to be a controversial subject, Realize and know that the reason that it's a controversial subject is because of lack of knowledge, number one. And number two, there is a lack of understanding of the characteristics of the Father God. I can say it like this. There's a lack of knowledge concerning, number one, the love of God. Number two, the Word of God. Number one, the love of God. Number two, the Word of God. You can take that. And base everything that you're going to live your life on that very fact, the love of your Father God. Now here, we see that the promise includes financial prosperity. Your barns being filled with plenty and your wine presses bursting out with new wine is considered to be financial prosperity. Now, remember, we're talking about godly wisdom concerning these five promises of God so that we can appropriate them in our lives. We said that the promises of God are not automatic. They are appropriated through the wisdom of God. Comprehensive insight into His ways, His purposes. The book of Proverbs is wisdom personified, brought into life for us. As we read the book of Proverbs, we have spiritual insight into God's wisdom and His ways and His purposes. And in this fifth condition, we find out that if we will obey the conditional promises, the conditions of the promise, then the promise will be ours. There's no such thing as obeying the conditions and commandments of God without receiving the promise. There's no such thing as sowing and not reaping when the seed that you're sowing is spiritual and incorruptible, uncorruptible, cannot be corrupted. So here we see 
the wisdom of God concerning financial prosperity. And as I said, receive this with an open mind, with a receptive heart. I don't care what you've heard about, you know, the subject of financial prosperity. Just take it like as though from the very beginning. I'm just going to start this study now, and we're going to get the wisdom of God concerning His ways for our life and our finances, which includes our finances. Now, the best way to do it is, I believe something that the Spirit of God opened up and made real to me in my life, is by going to step number one for godly wisdom concerning finances. And you can write it down if you want, step number one. The first thing you need to know concerning financial prosperity is the will of God. Well, isn't that what Colossians 1.9 said? That you might be filled with the knowledge of His will. Well, see, that's the key to the victorious Christian life is being filled with the knowledge of God's will for your life. I mean, most Christians walk around saying, well, I don't know if it's the Lord's will. Well, are you in the will of the Lord? Well, I don't know. See, and really what we're showing is we're not obeying what the Spirit of God was saying to us here in Colossians 1.9 is that we need to be filled with the knowledge of His will. The knowledge of God's will is the foundation for any Christian endeavor. When I know the will of God, bless God, I will be a success. When I obey His will, I will be successful in my life. Now, here we see this is His will for, for us in, in the area of finances. He wills that we be prosperous. And He spoke to them in terms that they could understand. Your barns would be filled with plenty. And your presses would burst out with new wine. Not just be filled, but I mean to burst. That sounds like what Jesus said over there in Luke 6.38, that it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Did you ever get something in a, in a jar and just shake it down until it got, you know, so compacted that it, you could fit more in and you put more in and shook it down for a while and put more in and shook it down a little bit more and you got finally as much as you can get in there and then, see, shaking, pressed down, shaking together, running over and then it began to run over. I mean, that's an abundance. That's an overflow. I mean, Jesus said that. Does everybody know that Jesus said that in Luke 6.38? I'm not, you know, making up my own scriptures. Jesus said in Luke 6.38 that it shall happen. Okay. In every area of your life. The law of sowing and reaping, giving and receiving, is a spiritual law. Okay, so first of all, what I want to do is just start from scratch. Just start, lay a foundation and we'll build upon this foundation. And what I want you to do is to turn to the book of Genesis. And uh, as I was starting to say to you, what the Spirit of God opened up to my spirit in understanding Bible principles, in under, or let's say rightly dividing the word, or we could call it a law of Bible interpretation is you go back and find out what God's will was in creation. Because that was His initial will. And if we are to be filled with the knowledge of His will, His will is clearly seen in creation. He willed that for man. Our Heavenly Father was not doing things in creation that was opposing His will. If anybody opposed His will, it was man and Satan. But God clearly was teaching us His will for us in the beginning. So in Genesis, the first chapter, we find the will of God concerning prosperity. And also, since Adam messed up and, you know, he really was the fault or the reason that God's will could not be carried out in man's life, then we've got to see how Jesus, in redemption fulfilled the will of God and allowed God's will to be appropriated in the earth again, you know, by the act of redemption. 
So, number one, you've got God's initial will. Number two, you've got man, you know, destroying the will of God or causing it to be sidetracked. Number three, Jesus came to fulfill the will of God and reestablish it back in the earth. And number four, appropriating the will of God for my life through godly wisdom. Appropriating the will of God for my life through godly wisdom. Now, here in Genesis, the first chapter... Verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our own image, after our own likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in, in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. And every beast of the earth, and every fowl of the air, and every thing that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so, and God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good, and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And, of course, on the seventh day, God rested from all his works. But I want you to note that it was the will of God to give man dominion over all the earth. It was God's will to create his man. It was God's will to give him dominion over all the earth. But now let me share this with you right now because you need to know this about your heavenly father. This is heart searching. Your heavenly father, before he ever created Adam, made provision for his needs. Before he ever created Adam. Why do you think man was created last? Can you imagine having a man with no place to live, no food or water to drink, no place of shelter, no provision? That would be silly to make a man without having things for that man to live off of. See, the father is not backwards. He provides first the need and then he creates his man. So if you could just begin to see what took place in the act of creation, it would just cause joy to rise up from within your spirit concerning your heavenly Father. You can just see as the animal kingdom came into existence. You can just see as all the trees, fruit-bearing trees, and the herbs, and the spices, and all the things, all the good, beautiful things that the Father set forth in the midst of the garden... You can just see the flowers as they began to grow and in, in God's system of ecology, how they used to, you know, just, just operate and, and cooperate with, with the plant of nature to provide for man an atmosphere of, of beauty and of, of health. You can just see all these beautiful things created. You can just, what a glorious paradise. What a beautiful, marvelous place. If a man were living in that place, if there was such, someone called a man, if someone were to live there in that place, they could say, you'd never have a need. Because there wouldn't be any wants. It's all there. But there's nobody there yet. Nobody. But God made it. And it's beautiful. Glorious. All of a sudden, after this is all done, everything has been provided for someone. Who? Someone. Somebody. Something. God reaches down and takes the dust of the earth and He forms a man. 
And he breathes in to that man the breath of life. And I want to tell you something that the flowers began to sing. And the animals came. And all the creation began to sing its anthem of welcome unto the man. God's man. Who would have dominion over all of this beautiful work of creation. Everything that that man would need for existence is there. No work. No time clock. No card to punch in. It's all there. What a wonderful God. What a glorious Creator. Everything man needed. Now, I want to emphasize that. Everything that his man needed was there without him doing anything. Are you hungry? Yeah. Well, there's a fruit tree right there. Just go get it. Thank you. Would you like some, you know, dessert? Yeah. There's some berries over here. Let's go get them. It's all there. Not a concern about where's it going to come from. It's all there. It's all there. The provision was made before the man was created. That was God's plan, His will. Don't you love it? What a wonderful Father. What a wonderful Creator. The beauty of it. Made for His beauty, made for His pleasure. And it was your Father's pleasure to give all those wonderful things and provide all those wonderful things before He ever came on the scene, before man was ever created. What a blessed, blessed Heavenly Father. Not selfish in the least, is He? No. Man, when He does things, He does things right. Okay, now, let's go over to the second chapter. I'm going to show you something. All the needs are there. All the needs are there. Now, you're going to love this. Because the Father saw more than the need. He also made provision for the desire. He made provision for the desire of man and woman. Second chapter, verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there He put the man whom He had formed, and out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out to Eden to water the garden. And uh, from thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pison, that is which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. Underline it. And the gold of that land is good. There is bellium there and onyx stone. And the name of the second river, Gahan. Uh, the same is compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hittichel. That is which goeth toward east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. I want to ask you a question. Gold, he saw the gold, he put the gold, he provided gold there. For what reason? Here's a man that has a perfect atmosphere. Here's a man that has everything he could possibly want, need, or desire. I mean, everything you could want in that life to live is already there. It's already provided for. He's already been told you can eat any tree you want. All the food you need. I mean, what are the things you need? 
for survival, the necessities of life, food, clothing. He had the most glorious clothing. It was the very glory of God. He was clothed with the glory of God. What a clothing he provided for him. Food to eat, it was all there. A place to stay, the atmosphere was so perfect, the climate was so perfect, he was so clothed and warm in his glory, there was no need to build a house. He could just stay right there and sleep out in the beautiful grass. There were no weeds. That's a life of leisure. Like sometimes we say, that's the life of Riley. Amen. Can you say amen to that? I mean, we can stop right there and have a picnic, huh? Not a weed. Not a thorn. He wasn't sneezing. No hay fever. No. Perfect. Absolutely perfect conditions. Absolutely every need provided. But gold. For what purpose? Why did God put gold there in the land of Havilah and say it was good? Well, he knew that when Eve came along, she liked to wear earrings. <laughs> Amen? No, he provided for desires. Maybe they had a desire. You never know. I'm going to show you why he put it there. Matter of fact, I can answer that question. I'm glad you asked it. Go to the book of Revelation. Amen. I love this. I love knowing my father. Don't you? Oh, he's so great. Marvelous. Wonderful. Hallelujah. So considerate. So compassionate. So wise that he provides before the need ever comes. I like that. Don't you? I like that about my father. Look at the 21st chapter of the book of Revelation. Don't ever forget that man was made in the likeness and in the image of God. Say it with me. I was made and am made in the likeness and image of my God. All right? Now, I want to show you something here about your heavenly Father. Let's begin reading here at verse 16. And the city lieth foursquare, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, twelve thousand furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof, a hundred and forty and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an, the angel. And the building was, uh, of the wall of it was of jasper. And the city was pure gold like in the clear glass. And the fountains of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a uh, chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth a topaz, the tenth, a chrysoprasus, the eleventh, a jacinth, and the twelfth, amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold 
and it were as it were transparent glass. Phew. My father's extravagant. We think that gold and pearls and diamonds are of great value. How about chrysoprasus and amethyst? And all these, the things that we can't even imagine, the glory. It was so glorious, it was pure gold, it's transparent glass. And the Father says, I'm going to put some of that stuff down there because I love it. And I want you to have what I have. That's what he said. That's what he, that is the image of our Father. And he made, it, he made man in his own likeness, in his own image. And I can share with you and show you clearly that in the act of creation, it was the will of God that man rule, have dominion, and enjoy all the good things he put into this earth. It was made for you, and it was made for me. Now, our Father is not stingy. And as far as I'm concerned... It was his good pleasure to provide for man, because of his own will, every good thing. And you can see clearly that he did it before he ever created the man. Now, the next thing you need to do to understand the will of God would look, you know, to, be, to look at the plan of salvation. Because although this was his plan from the beginning, Adam committed high treason. He gave his dominion over to the devil... And all that God did for man was ruined, distorted, perverted. All the desires that were healthy, wholesome desires were suddenly turned into unhealthy, unwholesome desires. And we find out that when there was beauty in the creation, now we've got thorns, thistles, and all kinds of germs and diseases and all these things confronting man. Now, these desires that were perverted into unhealthy and unwholesome desires caused man to pursue after the things of God in such a way that those things that were put here for man actually became their God. Gold, silver, Pearls, diamonds, food. Don't you remember that, that the Word of God teaches us that their belly became their God? All those things that were provided. See, that's why I say some people want to get off into the areas of sin, but they like to leave off the area of, you know, gluttony. But the Bible clearly teaches us that if your belly is your God, it's wrong. These desires, man's desire for that kind of food was not that unhealthy and unwholesome. But you see, that was perverted. All the good that was put in the man was perverted, and all the things that were provided for man became perverted. And now he seeks to make these things his God. Okay. Jesus had to come to restore to us God's initial will. Look at this scripture. I'm just going to just point out some scriptures to you. And you just receive them with an open mind. Because as you come to Calvary, you come to God's will in action. 
He did it in the beginning. He provided for man. But remember, Calvary represents a new creation. He, we're going to have a new creation after His resurrection and, and ascension and seating at the right hand of the Father. If what God did in the beginning is true of His characteristics, then what God was going to do through Calvary would have to be repeated from what He did in creation. In other words, everything before He recreates man would have to be provided for man before He recreates man. Let's look at these scriptures. Man had need of life. It must be provided for man before He recreates man. Jesus said in John 10.10, I am come that ye might have life. Man had a need of righteousness to be declared righteous before he could become righteous. There's the need. Jesus was made sin for us who knew no sin so that we could be made the righteousness of God in Christ. The provision must be made before we can actually have the reward or the need met. Then we find out that man had need of healing. On Calvary, Jesus became sickness and disease to provide for man health and healing. And as you look at the cross, you'll find out that everything that man would need would have to be provided before he would be recreated. Because all that he needed in the beginning was provided before he was created. All that he would need after, you know, when he's recreated would have to be provided before he is recreated. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. One of the hardest scriptures for some, some Christians to receive, but you're going to have to receive it. You're going to have to read it, share it, take it for what it really means. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might be what? When that was distorted by Satan and man, then man's desires, when they were perverted, took all that God had made for His righteous man and started using it to promote the work of evil in the earth. So Jesus came and He was, became poor and he became, in, he became in poverty so that we through His poverty might become rich or of a full supply. Have your financial needs met. Now Jesus was not a poor man in spirit. A poor in spirit cannot raise the dead. A poor in spirit cannot open up the blind eyes or the deaf ears. But in his earth walk, he said, I don't have a place to lay my head. He purposely himself became poor, although he was rich. And what is that saying? In other words, he was rich in the sense that he can have his needs met by spoken word 
But, well, just again, an example of that is when he had to pay Caesar. When they needed to pay Caesar, what was Caesar's? He said, Peter, go fishing. You'll find a coin. Though he was rich, he had a way to get it. He can get what he needed financially if he needed it. But he chose to become poor. I have not even a place to lay my head. Show me where you live, master. He says, the birds have nests, the foxes have holes, but the Son of Man hath no place where to lay his head so that you through his poverty might become rich. Like I said, don't take it out of proportion and don't misunderstand what I'm saying about unhealthy and wholesome desires. We're going to lay a foundation and we'll talk about these things as we go along. Okay, another thing for you to realize in the plan of redemption is that we were redeemed from the curse of the law. One of the curses of the law was po poverty. So it's in God's plan of salvation, in His plan of redemption, that we would be prosperous. He became sin so we can become righteous. He became sick so we can be healed. He became poor so that we can be prosperous. Okay? That is God's will in Jesus' act of redemption for us. And of course, all of you know the scripture, Philippians 4.19, that tells us, My God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And that was talking about financial need. And the reason why it's financial need because he was talking to the Philippian church, the church at Philippi, and he said to them, you have provided and sent time and time again to my needs. They were sending him offerings. And he said, because of your obedience, my God shall supply all your need, all your financial needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Okay, let me give you a couple more scriptures. And then we'll move on with our study. Proverbs, the 13th chapter. I like this. And I know you will also. Now, I want you to remember that Proverbs is the book of wisdom. We're talking about godly wisdom for finances right now. Godly wisdom for finances. And if those of you that had questions on your mind, I believe they're going to get answered for you during this study. But we're going to take it slow. We're going to take it slow. Because it's very important that you hear accurately what I'm saying. I want you to go off and, you know, mishear what I'm saying and then get like some people do, fall by the wayside. Well, that guy's talking about all you got to do is just, you know, just get whatever you want from God and, and that's how people just miss it. They just miss out on the whole picture and plan of God. That's using a wrong motive and a wrong attitude of your heart. So you listen to what I'm saying with an open uh, mind. Verse 22, 13 chapter Proverbs. Now, I want to read it to you from the Amplified Bible also. I'll read it to you first from the King James. A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children. And the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. The wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. How many of you have left an inheritance for your grandchildren? If you have grandchildren, or do you have an inheritance stored away for your grand... Now, I can see for your children. But in order to have that kind of financial status, you've got to have a little bit put away to do that, especially in the day that we're living in. But look what the Scripture says. A good man. I want to be considered a good man, don't you? Look what it says here. See, God's not opposed to his children having something. He's opposed to money having you. But he's not opposed to you having any 
wealth or riches. And I'll show that to you by another scripture. But let me read to you from the Amplified. I like this translation. A good man leaves an inheritance of moral stability and goodness to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner finds its way eventually into the hands of the righteous for whom it was laid up. And I'm going to tell you why I'm going to get strong right here, if I may. You don't mind, do you? Thank you. Because those that oppose what we call prosperity are opposing the will of God, are opposing the cross of Jesus Christ, and they are promoting the devil's work in the earth. The wealth of the sinner is finding its way back into the hands of the righteous for whom it was laid up. Because God didn't put that gold in the land of Havilah so that somebody who is under the influence of the devil could go open up a pornography stand. And God didn't put that gold in the land of Havilah so that somebody could go and open up himself some house and have a bunch of prostitutes in it. And God didn't put that gold in the land of Havilah so somebody can go off and make some unwholesome movies and get wealthy and rich off of it. And I can go on and on and on and on and on. But those that oppose the message of prosperity might as well just say, give all your money to them so they can go off and just promote the devil's work over all the earth. Because it takes money to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. It takes money to have satellite. It takes money to operate churches. It takes money to get people across seas and fly them around the world to preach the good news of the gospel. That money was not put in the earth for the sinner. It was laid up for the righteous. And when you get it, I know it's going into the gospel. But I said it time and time again, I'll say it again right now. The same ones I've heard, I'm not going to mention any names, the same ones I've heard on the radio or the television say you've got to watch out for this business about asking God for money or for finances. It's no good. And you know, Christians shouldn't be wealthy. At the end of the broadcast, we need your help now. Send a check for $1,000. Who, who could send a check for $1,000 if they don't got no money? Now you people out there, you just get, get out your wallets. I've seen people go wild. Have I been at a service that they'd have a 45-minute offering? I said, I could have preached half of the New Testament by then. I could, too. <laughs> you know I could. But then they say, I don't believe in this business about God, you know, giving you wealth and riches. They say, God's people should be poor. They shouldn't have wealth. And they shouldn't have riches. All right, now listen to this. Psalm 112. I'm going to let the Word do the speaking. You ever, see, you ever hear that commercial say, let the fingers do the walking? I'm going to let the Word do the speaking. I'm just quoting you the gospel. Psalm 112. 
Someone tried to tell me all that. But look at this scripture. Look at what it says. Start with verse 1. Can somebody say, Praise ye the Lord? Well, how about, Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. How many of you believe that? That the man that serves the Lord is, is blessed? How many of you delight in his commandments? Raise up your hand if you delight in his commandments. Boy, I just love you people. Well, how many believe that if you do that, that that next verse is true? Verse 2, His seed shall be mighty upon the earth. Can you say amen? amen? How many of you believe that the generation of the upright shall be blessed? Can you say a loud amen? amen? Wealth and riches shall be in his house. Oh. I'd like to see somebody preach that and say, God don't want you to be wealthy. Well, wait a minute. How about, how can I say that, that I, I might see to be mighty on the earth and I'm the generation of the upright and I shall be blessed? Wealth and riches shall be in his house and his righteousness endureth forever. Wealth and riches. I can't get around that scripture. What do you want me to do? Take it out of the Bible? Is that true or is it not true? How many of you believe it's so? Raise your hand if you believe it's so. I didn't write it. It's there. Praise God for it. He said it. Amen. I like that. That's what he said. I'm not going to argue with God. See, the idea about this whole thing is we're not greedy. We're not selfish. When you begin to appropriate the blessings of God, you'll be putting 40, 50, 60 percent of what you make into the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God will bless you with the other 40 percent you got left over. You have so much more you know what to do with it all. That's right. That's a program of God. We're learning how to operate in that thing. That's what he wants for his people. He wouldn't put these scriptures in the Bible just to, you know, entice us and say, well, that's, you know, I was only fooling. How did you ever hear my father say that? I was only kidding. You thought I was telling the truth, didn't you? I was only teasing. No, the father's not only teasing us. That's so. That's in the Bible. That's truth. Amen. So he might as well just say amen or say, oh, my. Right? Or oh, me. Whatever, but it's so. It's so whether anybody wants to believe it. It's in the Bible. How many of you have ever heard of the name Jehovah Jireh? It means the Lord, my provider. Well, your Lord, the provider, walks on the streets of gold. He's got pearls for doors. What kind of door you want, honey? Pearl. What kind of floors you want? Gold. That's the Father. I mean, what can I say? That's your Heavenly Father. Amen. See, this works in many different ways, which we're going to get into as we go along, but, but I just want you to get a picture and an image of what God intended. I mean, we could have been just dancing around, just jumping up in the air, just picking fruit off trees if that had been sin. You think about that. Work, what's that? Never heard of work. Watering the garden, it waters itself. What are you talking about, watering the garden? Money, what's that? Look at everything we need. You see what I'm talking about? That's God's will. That's what he wanted from the beginning. Wealth and riches shall be in his house. Don't throw away that blessing and say God didn't mean it. He meant what he said right there. Learn how to appropriate godly wisdom. Step number two. Step number one is always getting the wisdom of God by looking at the will of God. 
I can go on about that, but I, I, I don't have time. But let's get, let's get some other points in before we continue on. I mean, we just, it can't be time to quit already. Oh, glory be to Jesus. Step number two, wisdom for prosperity, is found in our scriptural reference in Proverbs, the third chapter. You're going to love this. I love it. I love to keep his commandments. I love to keep his conditional conditions. Look at this says. Circle the first three words or underline them, whatever you want to do in your Bible. Honor the Lord. Don't you love it? Honor the Lord. Let me, since we're going to, I know we're going to run into a time thing here. Let me give you just a few uh, definitions here before I go on. Honor the Lord is what I want you to look at first. Substance, underline the word substance. Underline the word first fruits and underline the word increase. Okay, now the word substance means wealth and riches. How can you honor the Lord with your wealth and riches if you don't have any? If it's a condition. But I want you to know something. I don't care if you've got a dime, you're wealthy. Honor him with it. Okay? That's where you start. But like I said, I'll, I'll share it with you as we go along. Okay, the word first fruits means first part. First part. First part, principal part, or beginning of. It doesn't matter which one you want to use. They're all, they're all the same. I'm looking these up in Hebrew. First part, principal part, or beginning of. And you're going to love this next word. The word increase means, in literal translation, income. And you read it together, it'd be like this. Honor the Lord with your wealth and riches and with the first part of all your income. Okay? With the first part of all your income. Now, let's go back to the first part of this. Honor the Lord. Now, here he's given you an attitude of heart. Here is godly wisdom for how you are to pursue the subject of financial prosperity. Your attitude and motivation of heart for pursuing prosperity is not primarily to get your need met. It's not primarily to pay that bill that you have. But most people, when they want to come and hear the message, you know, to, to get their needs met, they want instant everything. And, they, you know, they're, they're already way behind somewhere, and they want to jump in the middle of this thing, in the middle of the storm, and try to, you know, get this need met in a quick way. That's no reason to come in and start learning this. I never did that and never learned it that way. The reason for pursuing the wisdom of God in the area of financial prosperity is so that you can learn to honor the Lord, honor Him, worship Him, magnify Him, honor Him with your income, with your wealth and riches. That's a part of you. Your financial prosperity is a part of you, is it not? Don't you want to honor Him with your body? Don't you want to honor Him in your spirit, in your soul, in your body? Don't you want to also honor Him with your income with your wealth and riches? See, I'm going to give you an example of this. Um, my wife and I, and, and I'll show you, show you how some people try to misuse this, but I'm going to show you about attitude first of all. Honor the Lord. Honor the Lord with your wealth and riches. My wife and I, when we first got saved, I remember my brother saying um, that he gave so much money to the church. I just got saved, and he was saved for a while, you know, and he got into the area of tithing. And I said, What? He says, well, we give, well, you know, gave so much money. I said, you gave what to the church? 
He says, oh, we give him a tenth of anything I make. I said, what? I said, you write out a check for 10% of what you make and you give it to the church? He said, yeah. I said, I never heard such a thing. I said, you serious? I said, have you gone loco? I, mean, I didn't know any better. I didn't know anything. And he says, that's what I do. I said, well, I've got to see that. I've got to read the Bible. I guess I've got to find what's going on here. And I began to study the Bible. And uh, we lived near each other. Finally, I, I saw the Bible and I said, you know, that's so. I said, you know, Mike, I said, that's so. I said, you're right. And me, I made a commitment to, you know, what, what God said in his word to do. I was, was going to do it. I said, that's so. But I said, I looked at my bills. I looked at what I made. I looked at all the payments. And I said, it's not so. <laughs> There's no way I can do that. I said, there's no way I can do that. I said, I can't do that. There's no possible way I can do it. It's unlikely that I could ever, you know, get around to doing that for maybe a year or two till you get some bills paid off. I want you to hear me clearly. You don't serve God a year or two from now. You serve God when you find out the light. God will honor his word if you will honor him. And so my wife and I got together. We had a brand new house. Excited people. We've lived there not very long, a year and a half or something like that. Brand new house. And uh, I mean a brand new, brand new house. You know, no one never lived in before and we always wanted it and we got a nice place. And, and um, of course, that was, took a chunk out of our paycheck and that sort of thing. You know, it wasn't as high as it was today. Interest rates were 8% or something like that. But still, you had to, you know, for that time, it was still a lot of money you had to pay out. Plus with the car payment, with this and with that, you... So I said, now, Father, you said in your word to honor you, to, to give to you. I can see right here by my... I said, I'm, I've got common sense. I can see that I don't make enough money to tithe. You know I don't make enough money to tithe. So I says, I'm only just going to do what I know to do. See, when you don't have any more light, just do what you know to do. Use it as a general rule. When you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. So I looked at her and she looked at me. I said, honey, I said, let's sell this house so we can pay our tithes. See, I didn't say let's wait two years till we get that, the mortgage down and get the car paid off. I says, honey, I says, it's one thing to do. The Word says to do this, and I can't do this because of my circumstances. Let's sell the house to pay our tithes. Let's honor Him. I want to tell you something right now. When you start acting like that around your father, you are in for the biggest treat of your life. Our attitude of heart, our intent of heart, was to do what was right and pleasing in the sight of our Father God. You're not going to ever see us ever cry like some people do about paying a tithe. Because when you find out what tithing will do to you, you will begin to shout. Tithing put food on our table when we were at school and didn't have anything. I mean, it put food on the table. I'll even show you how tithing will heal your body as we get into this. But our attitude of heart was, I'll sell this house just to pay my tithes. But I didn't know anything more. I didn't know what I know today about faith. I just knew that if God said it, then something must go in my life. We agreed to it. Brothers and sisters, that house was sold in one day. You honor God and you watch how fast God honors you. One day. And we saw another house. 
We've always wanted to live on this street. And so we start looking for, and we said, Lord, find us a cheaper house where we don't have to pay, you know, such a high mortgage, but a house that we'll also like. He found us a house on a street that we always desired to live on. We inquired about the house, and the house was out at that time. Like I said, it was, it was more. It was, about, it was more than we paid for the new house. It was $37,000 at that time for the house, $37,000 for this house. And to us, that was just, you know, phenomenal. That's too much money to get into. And uh, we said, well, she said, my wife says, should I inquire about it? I says, honey, that's, that's $37,000 house. I says, we just sold ours of almost the same. You know, we're just going to be in the same boat if it's the same price. She says, I just feel impressed to go in there and inquire about the house. We always want to live on this street. It's a beautiful house. I mean, she always want to live on that street. But there was never houses up for sale because, you know, people always want to live on that street. That's why. <laughs> I mean, that's understandable, right? A beautiful street. Boulevard, you know, everything. And uh, so she went and inquired about that house. It was, it was truly a $37,000 house. And the real estate agent, she said, uh, they'll take an offer. You just make them an offer. And they needed some work repair on the inside. So she said, okay, I will. She figured I'm going to do it like this. If I'm going to get that house, I'm going to do it so that we can live comfortably and pay our tithes. So my wife, she's real witty, see. She goes in there and she says, I'll offer him $27,000 for the house. $10,000 off the house. Now, in today's market, they do that because it's a big high price. But at that time, on that street, in that house, he can hell out for anything he wanted because everybody would like to live on that street. He said, okay, it's sold. Okay, it's sold. We looked at each other. said, honey, you've always wanted to live in a house like that on this street and everything he came down $10,000 for that little bit of work that had to be done inside the house. We said, glory be to God. We got the house for, for $10,000 cheaper. We had a low mortgage, you know, payment. And we had more than enough to pay our tithes. We were living in a better place. That, well, it was, as far as we were concerned, we liked it better in that area than where we were. And in the house that we've always wanted and liked. God did that because all we wanted to do was pay our tithes. Now we can pay our tithes. Isn't that great? Now we can pay our tithes. When you start to honor God and do for Him, and I don't care what it takes. If it means sell something, sell it. I want to get into some of this. Someone says, but where do I begin? You know where to begin? Someone says, I don't have anything. I want, I want you to know that if you don't have anything, you are blessed. If you don't have anything, you can start in operating in this in such a way that you'll be devastated by it. If you don't have anything, if you have a talent, make something. If you have something in your house that you can sell, put that in a paper and sell it. And whatever you get for it, sow it into the ministry. Sow it into the kingdom of God. He says, I'll provide seed for your sowing. And when you learn the law, which is one of the steps, but I can't get into it tonight, of sowing and reaping, you will sow that seed in the spiritual soil and you're going to start in your life to blossom in the area of financial prosperity one step at a time. How many of you know that if you take one, if there is only one tomato seed left in all the world, if you took one seed Planted it into the ground. Waited until harvest time. 
and you go to harvest, how many of you know by the end of that year, so long as you don't eat it all, you'll have more seeds to plant more at the next spring? How many of you know that? When you first start walking in the area of finances and you first start sowing, it takes time to reap a harvest. When you reap that harvest, you sow those seeds, you'll begin to reap another harvest, a bigger harvest. Then you start sowing seeds and sowing seeds, and before you know it, now listen, if you did that principle with tomatoes, you'd come here just thought tomatoes slopped all over you. <laughs> tomatoes in the cupboard, tomatoes in the kitchen, tomatoes in the bathroom, tomatoes in the cellar, tomatoes every, everywhere. You, you'd have tomatoes everywhere, and no one would say anything about you, just except you had a lot of tomatoes. But when you teach that for prosperity financially, they say, this guy's absurd. He's a nut. Well, why can you believe it physically, but you can't believe it spiritually? When the scriptures clearly teach us, you sow seed, that is financial seed, and you will reap. He that soweth sparingly shall reap sparingly. He that soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully. If you sow a lot of tomato plants, seeds, you're going to get a lot of plants and a lot of fruit. If you sow a few, you're going to get less. Let's all stand up before the Lord. Why do we only... Glory be to Jesus. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.